Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 7, because that's where we're going to get in just a minute. And I know y'all are like, whoa, wait a minute. It, it's Palm Sunday. We're supposed to be in one of the Gospels. Well, this ain't that kind of church, okay? Uh, I just, we don't ever let kind of the, the, the calendar dictate what we're going to preach. I'm just going to preach what the Holy Spirit gave me. I don't care if it's Easter Sunday or Mother's Day. I'm sorry. We're just going to preach the Word, okay? Y'all with me today? Woo, I'm going over here, this side. We're in Romans, and I, I'll be honest with you, I can't think of a better book to be in as we walk into Easter. Because Romans is rich with the gospel, and the Easter is about the gospel, not the Easter bunny. And I keep saying that. Go see the Easter bunny. Hot eggs. Bring me some Reese's eggs, dark chocolate ones. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, there'll be a special crown for you in heaven if you bring me those. Uh, But it's about Jesus, and I'm grateful that we're celebrating today, and I'm grateful that we have technology, because I know people got people on spring break. We hope you get sunburned and Mickey takes all your money. (laughs) I'm kind of kidding. We are grateful to be celebrating this season, and Romans is an amazing place to be at Easter, because it is is as rich with the gospel as anything in our Bibles, because it's written by a guy named Paul who had his life completely wrecked in the best way possible by the gospel. This man, Paul, who was so convinced that Jesus was a threat to his religion, he had started killing folks for it until he's walking down the street one day, and Jesus shows up and says, man, what you doing? And he says, who are you? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And in that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. Because when the risen Lord stands before you and calls you out, you can't walk away the same You can't walk away the same. And he doesn't. He starts planting churches. But this one, Romans, is not a letter to a church he planted. It's not even a church he ever visited. It's one he wanted to visit. It's one that he was impressed by. It's one that, ma- that had such an, an impact on him that he writes longing to see it. But when he puts pen to paper, he's convinced that he might not get there. And he's weaving through three really important concepts that we talked about last week. And as you read Romans, I, I, want, I want to remind you that this is kind of what he's weaving between. The fact that we need to be saved. Yeah, let me say amen. How we are saved and then the benefits of us being saved. That's, that's all of Romans. It's Paul, and he's kind of like a pinball, like bouncing between these ideas of, okay, this humanity, this is why you need to be saved, because you are broken. You are not good. I don't care how good you think you are. You might be good by some earthly standard, but we're not measured by an earthly standard. We are measured by a heavenly standard in Christ, and none of us measure up. That's the bad news. That we exchanged truth for a lie, sin entered, it it severed our relationship with God, and there's nothing that we can do about it. Like, you can't be good enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't wear the nicest clothes on Easter enough. Like, you can't, there's nothing that you can do to be made right with God. Bad news. Good news. God did it all. God looked down and he saw us in our condition. He said, you know what? You can't do anything about it, so I will. I will put on flesh and I will come to earth and I will live the perfect life that you could not. And then I will take the wrath that I'm supposed to put on you. I'll put it on my one and only son, Jesus Christ. And that's what happened on Good Friday is on Good Friday, the wrath that God had to give because of our, not our mistakes, our sin. Come on. He put it on Jesus instead of you. He put it on Jesus instead of me. And when we 
receive his grace and believe in faith that what he did is for us, scripture says that we are transformed from the inside out. And now the benefit of us being saved is our sin is blotted out. We are forgiven and we are free. And it's not just that we get to go to heaven someday. We get to walk with God today. Come on, somebody. That we get to live in intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. That we have access to his spirit. And the sovereign God is with us at all times, in all things. Walking with us, making us new, transforming us. And we are trying to lean into his spirit in such a way that he didn't, remember, he didn't save us from our sins. Only to watch us continue to pick back up our chains. And if we're going to walk in freedom and produce new fruit, it flows from full surrender that we talked about last week. That God doesn't do a little bit. Look at me. God doesn't do partial. God doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. Every single bit. Every single bit. And if there's anything that God doesn't have, if there's any part of our lives that are not under his authority, then we're not fully surrendered. And it's hindering our ability to walk free and produce the fruit that he wants. And now we're not obligated to the law. We don't live out of obligation to the law. We walk in obedience with the spirit. But Paul's going to remind us, as he's done so often in this book, that this doesn't mean we just ignore the law. You know why we can't ignore the law? It's because the law is the word of God. All of it's the word of God which means none of it can be ignored. That means as much as we love Romans, we also got to read Leviticus. As much as we love the Psalms and to hear the heart of David, we also got to walk through Deuteronomy and Numbers and we got to read Jeremiah and Jeremiah is depressing his mess. Some, the people laughing, the people that read it. I mean, there's... We got to receive it all. And the thing is, what Paul is telling you is the law is good because the law, like all of the word of God, it does something to us and for us that only it can do. Go into Romans chapter 7. We're finally there. Romans chapter 7, verse 9, because he's been talking about this whole concept of the law, and he's saying some really wild things about it showed me this, and it showed me this, and it revealed this in me. And he says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life. And I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And though the commandment put me to death, so then the law is holy. And the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. You're like, what what is he saying? He says, once I, 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 I had a life apart from the law, I had a a life apart from truly understanding God. But in reality, now that I know the word of God, I look back and it wasn't really living. Come on. Like I thought I was living and then I looked at God and I understood what God defined as really living, what God defined as good and holy. And what I realized is what this definition that I had of life, it was way off the mark. I thought I was good. I thought I was even good compared to the other religious people that I knew. I was as good at being good as anybody was being good. Did that make sense? But what I realized is, is, and he talks about like coveting. Like what I realized is this law of God, it's not only, look, look at me, it's not only about what I do, it's also about why I do it. That finally I looked into this law and I realized I was doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons and so therefore I was still broken. Like even, even, even the religious stuff I was doing, it was to gain notoriety and it was to gain like fame and it was to, to, to be, not to be as good as God, but to be better than him. Right, 
Like, that's why I was doing it. And it created this, so he talks about coveting. That I was, I, the reason why I was doing what I was doing is because I was so jealous of who they were and what they had that I thought if I did what they did, then I would have what they had. And I was broken. See, we can't abandon any of the word because the word does for Paul what it does for all of us. The word eliminates our ignorance and it illuminates our brokenness. Come on, leave that up there for just a second. Let's absorb that. The word, the word of God. I'm not talking about just the law now, I'm talking about all of it. It eliminates our ignorance. Like it starts realizing, you know, once, once maybe we didn't know better or we could just claim ignorance, but when you start reading God's word and you start understanding, it's like, oh my goodness. Like that's the standard, that's what God desires, that's what he wants for me. That little standard of good that I had just got blown up. And now, like, I'm not ignorant to my sin. I'm not ignorant to that stuff. I'm, I understand who God is. And in that, it's illuminated my brokenness. I've seen how messed up I am. And then when I saw that, I started to realize that there is so much in me that I've got to allow God to heal and to work through. And then he moves into verse 14. And y'all, if you've never been able to relate to anything that Paul said in Romans to this point, you're about to. Because what he's about to say, you can be like, dude, that, yeah, I, I, I can relate to that. Romans chapter 14, or excuse me, chapter 7, verse 14. All right, stay with me because there's a lot of doo-doos in here and you can get lost in the doo-doos, okay? <laughs> Romans 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. For if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Verse 17. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Verse 19, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, Evil is right there present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Now, I know some of that language, just like I told you, all the doo-doos will get you. But what he's saying is, there are moments in my life when what I do does not at all reflect who God says I am. That I have moments in my life that what I do does not reflect who God says that I am. And I hate it and I don't like it, but it is a part that I have to just recognize, wrestle with, and figure out how to manage in the power of God. That I am saved. I know Jesus. I met him on the road to, to Damascus. And I, all these things have happened to me. And I'm planning churches. And I'm writing letters to these churches. But I have moments 
When the one that I thought, the old me that was crucified, that was gone, he comes back. And when he does, that old me wages war with this new me. And there are moments when that old me wins. Can anybody relate at all? Come on, I'm going to sit down. We're going to chat. Can anybody relate to that? Have you, do you ever have moments, and, and, and you know you're saved, and you know you believe in Jesus, and you know God, and you walk with him, and you're reading your Bible, and you're showing up at church, and you're having all these moments, and then all of a sudden, Tuesday comes, and in traffic, you do what you don't want to do. You say what you don't want to say. Everybody's like, I see some people going, today, because she would not get ready, and we were running late for church, and I wanted a good seat, and... We can relate, can't we? Yes. That there are moments when what I do doesn't reflect with who God says I am. And I, I, I use that language very intentionally, not who you say you are, because look at me. You didn't say you were new. He said you were new. Right. It's God's word that says when we accept Jesus and we receive his grace and his mercy and trust in his sacrifice, he's the one that said we were new. That's not something I say. That's not something you say about you. That's what God says about you. But he's saying there's times when this renewed spiritual man is reminded that that renewed spirit, that saved soul, is still living in this flesh. And that flesh comes out. And that flesh, that old flesh, wages war with that new spirit. And there are times, you know, I used, to, I used to think this about myself, and I used to think this about all of us, that you do something because you want to. And if you didn't want to, you wouldn't do it. Well, Paul's saying, no, there is something in me, this renewed man who knows and loves and follows Jesus and is committed to his word. He says that, that inner self, that real self, that sometimes that flesh does things that that inner self not just dislikes, he says, hates you ever done that? You ever had, on the, I'm, I'm not talking about before you met Jesus. I'm talking about since you met Jesus. You thought, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I let my temper get that way again. It's been so long. I thought I had that lust under control, and boom, it just came back. Come on, talk to me, church. You ever been there? The reason why is because we still live in this flesh and all things are not fully redeemed and the enemy is still active. And yes, our spirit is made new, our sins are forgiven, but that new spirit is still housed in this old flesh. And Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. You know what? Look at me. Redeemed people can still have wretched moments. Redeemed people can still have wretched moments. And then he asks a powerful question. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And I love how, this is where I wish I, 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 there would have been like recording devices because I'd love to hear Paul say these things. Because y'all know, not, 
not everything translates well in black and white. That's why y'all, some of y'all, this might be the best thing you hear in the sermon all day. You need to learn what is a text and an email and what is a conversation. That there is a time that you need to say something to somebody's face and not to their phone. Because phones don't give body language and voice inflection. And we live in a culture, you know how many wars are being started right now in relationships because you sent a text when you should have had a talk? That one's free, won't even charge extra. <laughs> what wretched man, because this is why, why, this is why I was saying that. Because sometimes, like, I, I, I feel, do you, anybody else, when you read that chapter, you feel Paul's, like, frustration, like his disappointment in himself. Like, I don't think he's saying, what wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body? And he's saying, no, what wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body? Oh, yeah. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who. That's who will rescue me. That's who will save me. That's who will get me out of this pit. That's who I will find victory in. That's why him, because of him, I don't have to stay here. I don't have to wallow in it. And when I have those moments when the old wins over the new, I still have somebody I can run to to find hope and healing. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So then, with my mind and my, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. And then he moves into Romans chapter eight, this beautiful chapter that we're going to walk through more next week. It says, "Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death." For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin, all sin, in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He says, thanks be to God that even in those moments, I don't stand condemned, I stand forgiven. That God has covered my sin, both now and forevermore. That it is his grace and his mercy that will forgive me now like he did then. But look at me, church. Paul is not saying all this in, in order to justify his sin. When he says it's sin living in me, it's not like he's saying, well, the devil made me did it. The devil made me do it. Don't misunderstand what he's saying. It's not like he's trying to throw off responsibility. He is not trying to justify his sin. He's trying to explain it. That the reason why this happens is because we are this new soul living in this old flesh and those things are at war. And read all of his writings where he talks about this battle of flesh and spirit, battle of flesh and spirit. Because this is not an excuse to be sinful. This is a reminder to be careful. Paul is not saying, you sinned yesterday. It's just your flesh. It ain't no big deal. That's not what he's saying. This is not, what he's saying is you, you can't let your guard down. Look at me. You can't, you can't let your guard down. That you, you can never get spiritually cocky and think that somehow you're above it now that you've completely slayed that flesh and so you don't have to worry about that guy anymore because he's still there. She's still there. And when the enemy comes, 
What, he's want, what he really wants you to do is he wants to untether your identity from that new you and tether to you that old you because that's how the old you begins to win. You, you, when you have these moments where the flesh comes up and wages war against the spirit and you give into temptation and you step into sin, and remember, I've made this clear, right? A few weeks ago, we were talking about freedom and I brought those chains out. I said very clearly, in case you've forgotten, that grace erases the penalty of sin eliminates the power of sin, but does not eradicate all potential to sin. Because that flesh is still there. The enemy is still real. He's still coming after you. And what he wants you to do is when you have those moments, when you lose that battle, he wants to go, see, you ain't, you ain't different. You're not different. That preacher been up there telling you you knew? No, you're not. And he says, I want to tether your identity from the new you that Jesus made you and put it back on the old you so you can keep acting like him instead of the one you are now. And there's something that needs to change in you. But this is not an excuse to be sinful. It's a reminder to be careful. To not let your guard down. To stay in his word. To keep pursuing him. To keep chasing after him. But the question is, what will you do when you have that moment? Or maybe a better question is, what have you done since you had that moment when you did let your guard down and the old you slayed the new you and you stepped into sin? Because see, on the other side of that is what matters. What you do on the other side of that sin, how you respond. And in my mind, you got two choices. You can walk in regret and wallow in guilt, or you can offer repentance and receive grace. And see, so many of us, that's what we do. Maybe it's because the tradition that we grew up in or something a preacher said is we step into sin and we begin to question our salvation and we remember begin to just feel all this shame and this guilt and the enemy loves it. It's like, yeah, more shame, more guilt, more shame, more guilt because shame and guilt paralyzes us and it paralyzes us in a position but we serve a God who wants to take us forward. So we ended up living with regret and wallowing in guilt when God's like, no, offer repentance, offer confession, take ownership of that sin, trust my grace, and let's keep going. And let's keep going. And I feel like there's people in the room that like you're still struggling with that. Every now and then that flesh, and it can't be constant, but maybe it's way too frequent, that you're letting that flesh come back up and you're giving into it because you're not doing the things that God has empowered you to do to grow strength and get more and more power in you through his Holy Spirit so that when that, come, that war is being waged, you recognize it and you know how to fight. But there's some people along the way, maybe it's this week, maybe it was a month ago, maybe it was two years ago, you lost that battle. And ever since, you've been living with regret and wallowing in guilt, and there's no better time than Palm Sunday than to offer up repentance and receive grace, and let's keep going. In 1 John, Scripture tells us, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also those of the whole world. Did you see that? I don't want you to stand. I'm writing this so that you can step in the power and grace of God so that you don't stand. But if you do, remember, you have an advocate with the Father. You cry out to him, you seek his mercy, you accept his grace, you repent of that sin, and you keep moving forward. And maybe that's what you need to do today. This is is the day that you stop living with regret and wallowing in guilt. And you offer up repentance and you receive grace and you keep moving forward to who he's called you to be. And as I read this passage from Paul, again, I see his passion. But I'm reminded his passion and his frustration aren't present because he's insecure about his salvation. Like this passion doesn't come from a position of fear. That in this moment, he's not motivated by fear. I believe he's driven by love. Because do you hear? Like that's, that's one sign that you're, that you're walking with Jesus is you get to the point where you hate sin. Doesn't mean it, you don't always refuse to choose it, but you hate it. So that when you do give in, you know, like, there's just something in your spirit that says, this isn't right, this is not what we're supposed to do, that, that, that conviction from the Holy Spirit. And you know why you hate sin so much? Because you know, you know that sin is the culprit for hurting the one you love most. Do you understand that? That what should move us from sin when we're in Christ is not just the ramifications of it eternally, but what it does to God's heart. Not just that it makes him angry, but it grieves his spirit. And when you see Jesus and when we celebrate all that Jesus, look at me, love is why he came, but sin is why he died. And I think Paul, the reason why he's so frustrated is because he knows, once again, in those moments, he's choosing to stay connected to that which hurts the one he loves most and he wants nothing to do with it anymore. Because none of us do. You don't want any association with the thing that most hurts the one you most love. Come on. And it is that thing, it is sin that caused him to be beaten. It is sin that put him over. It wasn't Romans. It wasn't Jewish hierarchy. It was sin that bent him over the rock and beat him with the whip. It was sin that put him on a wooden cross and put nails in his legs and his arms. It is sin that shoved a crown of thorns deep into his brow. It is sin that caused him to hang on a tree for hours and suffer. It is your sin and my sin. And if that is what is caused to hurt my Savior, I want nothing to do with it anymore. Isaiah 53. Can I just prove it to you that everything I'm saying is right? Isaiah 53. Yet he himself bore our sickness, he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. 
We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Love is why he came, but my sin is why he died. And that's why I want it out of my life. Because I don't want to associate for another second with the thing that most hurt the one I love most. And that's your motivation for leaning into God's power to overcome the flesh and to walk in that newness of life. And today, as we feast on this meal that he gave us to remember him, I hope that when you drink the blood and you eat the body that that overwhelms your spirit that that blood that was shed and that body that was given up was because of your sin and my sin we need to realize this church yeah we need to understand that it also means that we are covered and our sins are atoned and we have new life we also have to be reminded it was our fault but he did it anyway Look at me. Nobody made him do it. He did it willingly. He did it intentionally. Why? Because he knew that it was the only way. It was the only way for us to be made right with him. So today, we're going to lift up our voices in worship, and then we're going to eat this meal. And my prayer is that it has more significance as you take it today than it ever has in any other moment in your life. So would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray, we're gonna worship, and then we're gonna feast. Father, I pray that today as we worship you and as we prepare to eat this meal that you gave us, Lord, I pray that you would speak into our spirits, God, that you would say something in our hearts that we desperately need, that as we, as we drink this juice and this bread representative of the body and blood of your son, Jesus, God, I pray that the weight of all that we're about to celebrate and the beauty of it would not be lost on us, that it would not be ritual or habitual or just robotically done, but God, it would be as meaningful as it has ever been. So God, as we worship you and we usher into your presence, God, I pray that every one of us would just for a second forget that we're in a room full of people and just have a moment with you to express our gratitude for the sacrifice that you made so that we could be separated from our sin and walk in the newness of life that you offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.